Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hello, hello, Rockstar SLPs. This is Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy, the host of the Real Talk SLP podcast, where we have real conversations about what's going on in the trenches. And you guys are really in the trenches. It's been a tough year with just lots of... lots of ups and downs. So I really hope that you were able to relax this winter break and recharge and it wasn't a stressful uh, break off of school. I know that there can be times when our breaks go amazing. We feel refreshed and recharged and, and there's other seasons in our lives where maybe we've lost a loved one things are stressful. A lot of things are changing in your life and you just didn't really get that time to relax. And that is the worst. So I really hope that you got some time to just sleep in, go to the bathroom when you wanted to do some things that you you love to do, spend time with your kids, whatever that is. I hope you got to do that. Um, I know it's really hard to turn the work button off and allow your time, you know, allow yourself to enjoy the time that you don't have work. But it really does help when you do it because I've, I've struggled with that too. But when I remind myself like, you know what, I really need to just enjoy my time um, and come Monday morning, I will get it all done. And, and usually when I'm intentional with like, no, Felice, don't think about work, it, it really does help coming back on Monday. I feel ready and recharged, um, but it is, it's hard. It's hard to leave work, you know, possibly with a, with something half finished, like some IEPs half finished or or a report half finished and knowing that it's not finished and you got, you know, and you just want it to be done. So I understand that feeling. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about when you have all the tips in the world on how to approach um, a student or a treatment area and you still find yourself struggling, struggling with implementing goals or struggling in the session. Um, and, and it's really, really true. You know, you can, and I'm not discounting getting tips or, and, and going to trainings and stuff, but there have been times in my career working with kids where I will have all the tips in the world and I have all the game plan ready to go. And I'm still struggling in the therapy session with the student for a variety of reasons. And if you have ever found yourself in that same place, I just want you to know that you're not alone in that. You know, as we grow as clinicians, we're going to, we, I still find myself in these places each year. It just gets a little bit easier or I feel a little bit more confident to speak up and and ask questions and admit it, you know, out loud. Um, So this episode is for all of you who are feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do and I'm ready to throw in the towel. (laughs) Right? Okay. So First off, before we jump into that, I want to remind everyone that the virtual March 5th speech retreat Tickets are on sale right now. Um, early bird tickets are available until January 17th. And you're going to want, if you want to go to a virtual speech retreat, um, you want to get the early bird ticket. Let me tell you why. 
First off, tickets are $97. Um, with that ticket, especially if you have an early bird ticket, you get a swag box delivered to your door. Like you get mail from the ladies that plan the speech retreat, which is I'm one of them. And we send you a box of goodies. And it's 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 the best thing I think we have come up with with this speech retreat because it's filled with goodies and and, and surprises. Each each time we do a speech retreat, it, they're a little bit different. And it's just our little way of saying you're a rock star and pampering you for all the work you've done this year with your students and showing that we, you know, we just want to show you that we appreciate you. We want to feel, we, we like to pretend we're Oprah sometimes. Like you get a swag box and you get a swag box and you get a swag box. So not only with your ticket, do you get a swag box? You also get six hours of clinical maintenance, um, hours of professional training, and when you attend live, that counts as live hours, but you get lifetime replays of all the speakers. We always pick different topics and keep it moving all day so that you stay engaged. You, you walk away with practical professional development so that you can walk into the door Monday morning feeling encouraged and inspired to keep you know, doing what you do. So if you are interested in attending the speech retreat on March 5th, there will be a link in the podcast description that I will put so you can grab your ticket, send it to your SLP bestie, have a little party together. Um, I know some SLPs, one SLP, she goes and she goes and gets a hotel room and just, you know, relaxes while she learns. I've seen other SLPs post pictures of amazing cake and lunch that they ordered in and they're together with their besties learning. It's super fun. So grab an early bird ticket. Remember January 17th is the cutoff for that. And I will link the speech retreat link in the show notes. Let's start talking about what happens when we have all the tips and we're still struggling with our students. So here's the thing. It is so great to get tips from other SLPs and going to training and learning about strategies that work. But have you ever, have you ever been at a training um, where you're like, this is amazing. I can't wait to go back to my speech room and implement this. Right. And you're just going, yes, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm loving this. And then you get into your speech room and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. And it's not because the person sharing that tip or sharing those strategies were necessarily wrong. It just, maybe it didn't work for the student, um, or maybe the student was having a bad day and your perfectly developed lesson plan that you did and created is, is a wash. And, and you find that you're repeatedly struggling with a group or a certain student on your caseload. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> I hope it has, is this sounding familiar to anyone? Um, I remember many, many years ago, I had a caseload with a lot of students on the autism spectrum who were also in self-contained classrooms and many had some other communication um, needs, you know, AAC devices. I And I had a couple of kids where I was going, okay, I don't know if apraxia is impacting their communication because some of my kids were not speaking with words or they were trying to speak, but they were highly unintelligible. So I went to a Pam Marshalla training for, you know, 
speech sound disorders for severe speech sound disorders. And, and I was, I was super excited cause she's pretty cool. Um, I mean, and, and I, I really loved her training and she had a great, she was just great. And, but it was really discouraging when a lot of the things she was saying, she goes, all of this is going to work really well as long as your students are imitating um, consistently and have, you know, strong joint attention. And she indicated like some of your autistic students may struggle with doing this because she was talking a lot about strategies where you had to get high repetitions, see the students more frequently, and then they have to, you know, produce many, many trials, which also is related to, you know, imitation and joint attention. So when I came back, you know, some of my students struggled with those underlying uh, skills and implementing some of her strategies was, was hard. Um, And then a couple of students, I got some good, you know, I made some good progress and uh, you know, that can happen. And in particular, I had a couple of kids fast forward, you know, several years later where, you know, I had a student with apraxia and that is not in my, it's not in my wheelhouse because I didn't have a lot, I don't have a lot of kids with that diagnosis. So it's one of those things where you just haven't practiced it and you haven't, you know, if I did go to trainings, it's, it was hard to relate to because you didn't have a student that you're picturing in your mind. And I had a student like that who also had, has autism and, you know, I would plan the most perfect lesson or I would think, oh, she's going to love this because I would try to talk with the teacher to see what was motivating for her. And you know what? We had many, many sessions where she was like, I ain't doing that. (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily because of the materials I chose or the strategies that I used because I brought in my visual cards and I had, you know, I made it so it was friendly for her and I wasn't going to, you know, over demand from her. But she just it was producing sounds and words together and trying was not something that was easy for her. So she often would protest that she didn't want to do that. And so we had many, many months where I just felt like I was getting nowhere. And fortunately, things did get better. But there was that period of time where you're just like dreading that session because you're just going, I don't know what's going to happen. And I want her to make progress and I want us to have a good relationship. So, you know, that has happened to me. And if it's happening to you right now, just know you're not alone. So if you are struggling with some students like this, you're not alone. It doesn't make you a bad clinician. It's part of the process, right? So here's another example of me struggling with a student. And it wasn't that this particular student that I'm picturing, he was a happy-go-lucky kid. Um, He was he used vocalizations, but primarily he was communicating with like a go talk and we were trying to get him to expand his communication functions with a verbal output device. Um, I was hoping to use a more robust device, but 
I was still in the trialing stages where we were just trying to get him to communicate with us and be inspired to communicate. So I was looking for things that he would get really excited about. And he was just one of those kids. I don't want to say he was kind of a passive communicator. Like he was just happy. There wasn't anything that would really tick him off or make him upset. So to find something that would make him motivated to tell me what he wants or, or to see me modeling the words on the, the device was tricky. And so it took me like a month to go, you know what, me coming in during center time isn't really working. Um, and so I decided to go in at his lunchtime. And even then, you know, he was kind of a picky eater. He didn't like a lot of the lunch choices. And he just didn't like, he didn't even care enough. Like, cause I would just sit there with him. Um, cause I think lunch is a great social time, a time to talk. Um, he only really liked the chocolate milk and even then, and I would watch some of the, the instructional aids, they would just open up his milk for him, like without him even asking or even showing an interest in needing his milk opened. But so I was trying to do some of my strategies of waiting and modeling like, oh, let's help. And when he would drink it, like, like he, he, he wasn't interested in talking about his milk. So I hit another roadblock there. (laughs) And then I had to rewind backwards and go, okay, we got to find something that he's really, really into. So I asked the teachers, like, what's, what's he love? Like, what makes him smile? What does he get excited about? Um, And I found out that he is trying to play tag with the teachers in the classroom. So I decided to switch up my therapy time again. And I went outside during his recess and started playing tag with him um, and modeling on his device. And we brought the device out there at recess. And guess what? He started saying, turn and, you know, requesting go and more. And, and that was an amazing experience. But let me just tell you that that took me like three or four months to figure out who, you know, that in, in a lot of ways, that's a long time to feel like you're hitting a wall and not making any progress. And, and there, when we always have those kids in our caseload that you know, maybe their progress is a little bit slower than what you would like, but you're always seeing them make progress that you're like, okay, things are going well. And then we have those kids where, you know, you're implementing something and you're not getting that feedback that things are going well, you're not getting it back. And it makes you feel kind of like an imposter. You have imposter syndrome. You're going great. Everyone thinks I'm a giant joke. They think I'm a giant joke. I'm supposed to be the communication expert and I can't even get this kid to use uh, their device or they, they're still not really meeting their goals when I take data. So if you have a student like that um, or kids or a group where you're just struggling with them, you know, know that that's part of being a clinician and it's frustrating It's discouraging and it can really take a hit on your confidence as an SLP and you're not the only one that's in that, in that season. So if you are feeling like I'm doing everything, I have all these tips and nothing is working. I'm going to give you four tips today 
to implement during this season of your of being a clinician. Okay. So tip number one, whenever I start to feel like I'm struggling as a clinician or with groups, I go back or if maybe I'm just overwhelmed as well with all the things that are on my plate, I go back to reminding myself to keep things simple, keep things simple. That means simple lesson plans, using what I already have prepped, um, fight, you know, using what they like, but keeping it simple. You know, I remember I had a student who loved to shoot basketball hoops. Well, that was their, their reinforcer or, and that was the activity sometimes that we just went and did. And I tried to incorporate speech. I kept it simple. Of course, I wanted to, you know, have them work on sitting and, and paying attention to a book or an activity, but sometimes just keeping it simple to build that relationship and to see what makes them really get excited. That's what I do. Um, so tip number one, keep things simple. Tip number two, this, if you're really struggling with a group or with a certain student or disorder, you know, after each session, if you can take a little bit of time to reflect on your session, that could be all you need. Because a lot of times if your kids are not responding to your lesson or they are just all over the place in the group, um, we have a, we have a couple of things going on. Number one, it could be you're not creating enough structure for them in your session. So you're constantly having to redirect, um, or your lessons boring <laughs> there. I said it, or you know, you didn't set up your session so that you could have control over the student. And so I'll give you a quick example of that. You know, maybe you know that your student is constantly trying to elope the situation or protest. So, you know, having um, visuals there for them to say, hey, I want to be all done or one more than all done or giving them choices for what activities they want to do or some some way for them to express themselves without, you know, without yelling um, and then positioning yourself in a place with it within the session where, you know, maybe you're doing, um, a sensory activity warm up where you do some heavy work with them before you go to sit at the table. So looking at some of those pieces, um, of, okay, am I setting my session up to help them be successful? Did I have the visuals I needed to help them express themselves? Um, am I, am I creating an engaging lesson? And sometimes it's not even changing the lesson. It's wording things differently. Like we are going to have so much fun today. I have a great game that we are going to play after we read the book today. So today we're going to read our book and then we're going to play this game and I'm going to defeat you all. And maybe it's not really even a game. Maybe it's some kind of game that you made up. Like showing your kids that you're excited can make all the difference in the world. Or guess what? We're going to use the magic wand today, you know, and, and holding up the magic wand and really making the magic wand, which is just the magnetic chip wand, <laughs> seem alluring, right? <laughs> or maybe you're going to let your students, you know, play with the sensory bin 
or play with the toys a little bit before you try to start directing them. Or maybe you've been directing them too much and they need a play therapy style session. So taking the time to reflect on your session to see what you need to change to help your students be successful. Okay. Um, And maybe it is your materials or maybe your worksheet is just boring and you need to find something quick and easy to make it fun. And, you know, maybe it's like smelly markers, you know, something simple like that. But, um, or you can stick your worksheet in a sensory bin and have the kids, you know, look, you know, find the items that are buried under underneath. Um, I have a really great snow plow sensory bin that uses worksheets. So you can use any goal or, um, any picture scenes and you can put it at the bottom of the bin. So I will put the link to that sensory bin so you can get an idea. So you're taking a worksheet, but using it in a hands-on way, and you may just see a spark in your session. So tip number one, keep things simple. Keep things simple so that you can, so you can reflect like on tip number two, when you reflect on your session, it's not going to be so complicated that you're like, I don't even know what to change. So keep things simple. Tip number two, take time to reflect on your session so you can see what you can tweak and change in your, in, in your next therapy session. And as you do that, you'll start to see what is working and what's not working. Um, tip number three, And you maybe already did this earlier in the year, but maybe it's time to revisit this. You need to re-interview your staff, your parents. If you can interview the student, interview the student. Hey, we don't seem to be gelling here. (laughs) What do you you want to work on? What do you want from this session? What kind of things are you interested in? Especially with middle school kids, you're stuck with me. We want, I want you to graduate. I usually tell them that, like, I want you to graduate too. You, I know you don't like it here, that not every kid, that's the issue. But if they're, if they're unmotivated, it means they're, they're done. Right. So you can interview the student and say, look, these are your goals. What's going to help you so that we can get you graduated and make you more motivated. And we come up with a plan. But if your students are maybe using, um, you know, they're using pictures or an output device to communicate and you can't necessarily interview them, interview the staff or the parents or observe them in the classroom during their free choice time or during recess and find the things that make them smile, find the things that they are so excited about and, you know, incorporate those into your sessions when you can. I know sometimes like I want to do my plan or I'm going, well, we have to do the curriculum. Yeah, we got to do it a little bit, but how can we infuse, you know, like the unique curriculum theme? How can we infuse some of our students' interests or things that we know they love, like hands-on stuff? Um, Or maybe we could, you know, there's just lots of little ways that we can really incorporate our students' interests to increase their engagement. So tip number four is trust the process. So maybe you have recently gone to a training on a certain topic and you've gotten a lot of strategies and tips and you're implementing them and you're still just feeling uncomfortable with how it's working. And, you know, and that can happen where you're just feeling like, should I switch? 
Is this going well? And so sometimes we just have to really trust the process of the strategies that we are implementing and give the students some space and time to internalize what we're wanting from them. Of course, after maybe a month of implementing strategies and you're not seeing any growth, you know, yes, that's when you want to go back to tip number two and reflect on your sessions and re-interview staff and observe your student to see what you could do differently. But there are times where I think we want our kids to just make progress instantly, Um, but also the parents and the staff want their kids to make progress instantly. And it's a lot of pressure. And we know we have the IEP, the yearly IEP. And so we want our kids, of course, to make you know, progress, but, and we want it to be quick because we want, I think it makes us feel good. Like, okay, I am a competent SLP. I know what I'm doing. And so, and we've had successes with other students where we're like, they got it. They got it in two sessions, that sound. Oh my gosh. And so it's hard to trust the process and to have faith in it. Um, but we have to remember that some of our kids, like, like, for example, if we were doing a play therapy session, of course, we want the kid to start naturally, spontaneously saying some of the words that we are modeling or conversationally recasting, right? And we want them to give us joint attention. Uh, but we forget that there's a lot of complicated things happening in that play therapy session. They are learning about a new toy. They're exploring. They're getting to see how a toy works. And they also have us modeling (laughs) and pausing at them and, you know, doing all of our strategy goodness. And they may take a little bit longer because they're taking it all in. Um, and I've seen that in certain kids, even where, you know, they're a late talker, you know, I don't know if that's a diagnosis, but they have, they're a late talker. Um, and when I've observed them, I'm like looking at them going, okay, they have a lot of skills. They have a lot of social skills. They know how to play with the toy. Um, they seem to be understanding, information based on what the parent's saying, but yes, their expressive language is not where we want it to be. And it's one of those hard things where we want our students to just make a ton of progress right away, but maybe it's really shaping and coaching the parent on how to use some of those pausing and modeling strategies, how to, you know, simplify some of the words that they're saying, um, and or expanding on what the child is saying if they're using one word. So, and trusting that process that if I, if they do this every single day, all day long, Eventually, you're going to wake up one day and your stu- your child or your student is going to start, you know, you're, they're going to be saying full sentences or whatever the progress of goals that we want to see. And I have seen that in a lot of kids where the staff in particular, not just myself, we're all rubbing our heads going, what are we, what do we do? I don't know what else to do. We've tried all these things. And then one day we wake up and we're like, oh my gosh, they're killing it. The kids are killing it with their goals. And so that's my last tip for you today. I could probably go on and on about trusting the process and giving you examples on that, but it really is something that 
if you can do that and just, you know, trust that, you know, what you're, the strategies you're implementing and trying to even remind the parents, like, this is a process we are, we're going to monitor it. And we have, we have your child's best interest at heart and we are not going to let them just keep falling through the cracks. And if we need to change something, we will, but we got to trust this process. Um, so yes, tip number one, keep things simple. Tip number two, take time to reflect on your session. Tip number three, interview staff and parents or observe your the students in their natural environment to recalibrate if your sessions and the materials you're choosing um, align with their interests and what, what makes them excited to communicate. And the last tip is trust the process. Trust the process and trust your skills. All right. So I hope that this was helpful for you and encouraging. Again, don't forget to sign up for this speech retreat by January 17th and get an early bird ticket. I My session is all about articulation carryover and how to help you get your student to finally graduate. <laughs> Got any kids on your caseload that you're like, it's time. And they're like, it's time. And I'm like, but we got to get we got to get all the way over here in conversation. Okay. And then it'll be time. So if you are struggling with any of your students who have speech sound disorders, particularly like articulation with one or two lingering sounds, that session will be for you at the speech retreat. There is a lot of different speakers that are really, really great. And so I think you're going to love it. All right. I will see you all next week. I won't see you, see you, but I mean, I will connect with you. on the podcast next week. All right. Have a great week. Don't forget to stay inspired and be the SLP that every kid wants to see. Take care. Uh